far too long, Paul. Yes. We're back with our Impact Retrospective Part 3. I'm Three. En- I'm enjoying this little uh, mini-series as it were that we've been going on. Enjoy, for yes. This, <laughs> for this thing, and, you know, this is really going to be the, the part that makes you really appreciate how Impact is now. Appreciate Impact, yes. Impact rules, quite <laughs> frankly. Yeah. And the, the retrospective we are doing... Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 I don't even think we could say enough about the quality of impact. Mm-hmm. We can say enough about the lack of quality in certain years. Mm-hmm. Well, we will be in this show. Yeah, especially in this section. Mm-hmm. But impact is a quality product. Because there are going to be points that we're going to talk about here where I think where impact is now would seem unthinkable. Given oh. where impact will get to in some of the places here. Yes, impact for the longest time looked like it was going to it was a dying animal. Yeah, like it was it was waiting just to be put out of its misery. Yeah, thank you, Dixie, <laughs> you bitch, like, and thank you, Jeff, you cunt. As in Jeff Jarrett, right? Yeah, that fucking idiot. Because I was gonna say, because Jeff, as in Jeff Hardy, we left off like part two. We concluded that. Yeah. I'm talking about the now famous Victory Road incident. Do, do you know, uh, just to quickly cut in here before we get into the meat of it, do you know that Fuck Nugget is still suing Impact? Yeah, over the, the GFW name and some. We'll get it. We might why, why don't Impact just give him it? Because GFW was fucking faggotry personified. He's, he's not talking about. He's not suing Impact, he's suing Anthem, who now own Impact. They, they're the parent company and all that. Why doesn't he just give up? He's a cunt. I don't know. His thing, I don't know. Well, we'll being talk, a cunt. We'll talk about impact. We'll talk about our GFW maybe a little bit later on. But can we focus on? Where yes, we, we can. We can. We we left off in twenty eleven. Oh, <laughs> and yet yeah, still a very difficult time. Jeff uh, went away for a couple of months to get his head right. Matt left, and he had to get himself right. You mean Jeff went off to rehab? Yes. <laughs> he he went off, and in the summer he had this whole story basically about. Mortals still trucking along, and they were that desperate. They had Mr. Anderson joined for a while, and then he left, and then Kurt Angle joined. Yeah. After this whole story level, I've never been able to beat Sting for the title without outside interference, and then he and Sting have a world title match, and Kurt Angle wins without interference from Hulk Hogan, and officially yeah. joins Immortal. And then in the summer, they had this whole thing where basically Immortal hate the X Division, and like it really makes. It really helped the narrative that like Eric Bischoff and the people he was involved with hated like the quote unquote vanilla midgets who were working the X division, but like Eric Bischoff at the same time was one of the guys behind the whole cruiserweight division at first, so I don't see why. So maybe they're trying to use that to advise and make him like the heel. So they had because uh, also there were no weightlifts at the time. They had Abyss win the X division title. Yeah. And then they did a thing where they did a one night only maybe all about the X division where it was Destination X. They had brought the six aid ring back for one night and Abyss lost it, finally lost the X Division title to Brian Kendrick. Uh-huh. And it was seen as a win for the X Division. Yeah. And uh, at the same night they had and they had AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels wrestle one more time, which then led to yet another feud between the two because Daniels lost AJ and he couldn't handle it. Yeah. So then they had another match where well, he only won because he slipped on the ropes and he took advantage. No, I've got I've got to say in regards to Christopher Daniels. Mm-hmm. And AJ, you could you could take any match from the last five ten years, mm-hmm. 
it still wouldn't be as good as a match between AJ and Christopher Daniels. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah, they, a, they, that's yeah, a personal have, opinion. Yeah, they do have such great chemistry there, and then Daniels kept bragging about his win, and then they eventually turned heel and they went out to another mini feud with AJ. Yeah. And, and remember this time, then they added the like was the X division like weight limit. I think it was like two twenty five. Yeah, and it was official weight limit of the division. I think it's the first time they'd actually had, had that. I yeah. think uh, it was definitely seemed like an Eric Bischoff thing because Eric Bischoff didn't get the whole thing. Like, so the thing with the X division is that it's not about weight limits; it's about no limits. And Eric Bischoff has, has made no bones on his play about saying like he thought that slogan was fucking stupid. I don't think so. He's, he didn't like the idea. So like. So he wanted, obviously, well, I think it was probably part of his idea to make it, have a weight limit on it. But he still has quite a few, like, really good guys win it, because shortly after, <laughs> it is this, just an excellent, a couple months later, you had Austin Aries make his return to Impact. Yeah. And uh, he won the X Division title, he went on this really long, really good reign with it. And he, he's one of the better, like, X Division champions, and uh, we'll, we'll, he had a very noteworthy moment that we'll come to later on. Yeah. But it was in 2011 where we had... I'm sorry if I'm just going all over the place, but, like, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to pick out good moments from 2011 before yeah, we yeah, get yeah. to the ship. And something I don't think gets thought about enough is in terms of uh, something that went well, back to the last great ideas at this time was uh, the Bound for Glory series, mm. where basically it was a series of matches. There were, like, ten wrestlers all in it, and everybody fought each other at least once, I think. And you got like seven points for a pinfall, win, ten for a submission, three for like a count out, two for DQ. It was kind of like a best of series. Kind of, everybody fought each other at least once, and you, you went went up like point yeah. points. And sometimes they'd have a, matches that were worth additional points, so you could like be at the bottom and shoot your way up. Yeah. And then when it came to like no surrender, which was the pay per view before Brownfield Glory, you take the, the four guys who are at the top, and basically you have two single matches, and then the winner's them, and the final the winner of that wins the series. And becomes a number one contender. Kind of like a King of the Ring kind of thing. Sort of like, kind of like the G1 in, in New Japan, the Round Robin yeah. plus a, a King of the Ring kind of thing. So like the four top scorers face each other in two singles matches and then one match to decide the winner. Yeah. And the winner gets the title shot Bound for Glory. And the reason I like this is because Impact never really... It's very like Bound for Glory kind of being like their mania. Yeah. They never really had a, the best way of determining who the number one contender was going to be when Bound for Glory came around. Because they didn't have their version of a rumble or anything like that, or some big match that always determined the number one contender. No, we, we never had that big sort of precursor pay per view to. Yeah. Uh, so, like, if they wanted to build something up for a world title shot at at Revival Glory, because usually started it after Slam Anniversary, so they had a good two or three months to do it. So yeah. they had plenty of time to build somebody up and tell their story of their struggle throughout the tournament, yeah, eventually coming out on top. I noticed how you almost said Slam Anniversary there. Yeah, and. In personal opinion, I think Slammiversary nowadays, I don't know for every other Impact fan, but to me, Slammiversary seems like the bigger event. Yeah, I, I uh, thought about it the other day, it seems to be, especially the last few years, the most noteworthy things happen at Slammiversary, not Bentfield Glory. Yeah. But the first ever Bentfield Glory series, I think at the time it seems so unlikely, but it seems like fitting now. Yeah. Bobby Roode won the first ever one, and at the time, like, even though he'd started as a singles guy, for the last few years he'd been so... Yeah, he'd been like, like money. money. It seemed like weird that now Bobby Roode is getting the singles like push. Yeah, it was it was a great singles champ as well. Hmm. I thought, you know, I can't remember who he, who he beat in the semis, but I think uh, in the other semi final match, he had Billy Ray beating James Storm. So it was Billy Ray that uh, he beat in the final, I think. Yeah. So he got his title shot, and then he had it was uh, main event of Ben Fogarty was going to be uh, Kurt Angle defend the title against Bobby Roode. 
Yeah. And it was a whole thing where they made him go through fighting every member of the of the fortune. So Kaz, AJ, Storm. Yeah. He was going to fight Daniel, but Daniel refused to fight him. Like, oh, nothing to prove. And then that led to the feud with AJ. Yeah. So he had the thing. And then it seemed weird, the idea of like Bobby Roode winning a world title at that time. But then again, it was case of like, he went to the Bound for Glory series. And like, so it seemed weird for him to go through all that and not win. But Kurt Unger retained under like screwy circumstances. Yeah. And then the very next impact, he, he had a match with James Storm and James Storm wins. Like, and it was a very short match because he goes right after him. Yeah. A couple of times and the ref keeps pulling him out and after like the second or so time, Storm just comes out of nowhere, super kick, stacks him up, pins him. And there's a big celebration where he's going and he's, he's shaking beer bottles around and he's going in the crowd. Mm. And like it was meaning a big deal because James Storm had been there since the very first show. Yeah. And now he's finally the world champion. And he held it for a grand total of two weeks. <laughs> because two weeks later, he gave Bob Roode a shot. And in that match, Bob Roode would turn heel. Yeah. And he would, by taking a beer ball and smashing it over in Storm's head and becoming the new Impact World Champion. This started the Bob Roode now we kind of know more so. Before he got called to the roster, made a shit face. The Bob Roode that everybody was excited about when he came to NXT, the heel it factor Bobby Roode yeah. and he also referred to himself as a, the leader of the selfish generation where yeah. basically he admitted like I'm selfish I'll do whatever it takes to get ahead I'll, I will say I know we're doing an impact retrospective but quickly WWE seriously dropped the ball with that guy I know because like his NXT run and I know I can say that about a lot of people but like, he came in he was wearing his suit he had the kick ass entry music he said he wanted to replace everybody in the crowd all the Smarks with their t-shirts to with yeah. places with people in suits and all that and well on a really good run like his entrances were the highlights of takeover yeah and then he drops the belt he drew and he comes up and he's a face like and, he, like, and yeah he gets a pop his first night because obviously he has that greatest entrance he could be like oh my god Bobby Roode's on the main roster yeah, but like, yeah. why did you keep him as a face because he technically debuts a face but in that same promo on NXT when he debuted he immediately turned heel again yeah. by insulting the crowd so easily you could have easily had him do the same thing. Because, like, yeah, sing along to his entrance music if you want, but he <coughs> should still be a heel. Because, like, it was an example of a like, main roster taking one aspect of a NXT call-up and running it into the ground, and in his case, it was the glorious thing. Yeah. And, do you know, I, I've got to say, as a negative towards WWE, mm-hmm. and... The thing that saddens me is I have so many more negatives towards WWE now than I ever did. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the main things. Like, look, you take a guy who is on NXT, a guy who in NXT is a fucking superstar, and then he comes to the main roster and he's nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, he can, and it's overnight. Yeah. You know, he goes from being hot fucking property to being nothing. Mm hmm. And Bobby Roode, for all intents and purposes, I don't even know if he is still... He, he's thinking he's stuck in Canada at the minute, so he can't really get to tapings at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So, but he's still under WWE, right? Yeah. But, he, he turned heel eventually, but I think it was too much too late. Yeah, too little too late. It, you know, it's like, yeah, you've turned him heel now, but why didn't you have him heel when it fucking mattered? I think certainly after he and Gable split up, and then Gable got traded to a different brand from him. And then he just came out and started being referred to as Robert Roode and had a must- Rick Roode's moustache. Like, yeah. oh, now he's a heel. You he couldn't have done something better. Like, so, I know you might not like, but like, there are a good portion of the, Do you like Gable? I have nothing against Gable. I have a lot against Shorty G. Like, 
<laughs> I could amend the audience that do like gables. So like if you had them before they, they yeah, before gable they, before they move over before they move over a different brands, have them turn on gable because people like gable and they want to see heel Bobby Roode. So people will buy into heel Bobby Roode we face Chad Gable. Yeah, and I know we're we fud Chad Gable. But like, so we'll move back to over at TNA and what was so weird about this is like yeah, bound for glory. Yeah, your main event and Rude lost and kind yeah. of that flat finish. The week, the, the impact after February, Jane Storm wins everybody's happy. Two weeks later, uh, Rude wins the title. And then you come out the go home show for your next pay per view and you don't have a title match announced. Yeah. And then basically they have a rematch. Well, they were planning a rematch, but Jane Storm comes out all beaten up because someone's attacked him backstage. You assume it's Rude, but it would later be revealed to be Kurt Angle. Yeah. Because Angle was annoyed about him taking his title and he. And uh, but like he comes out being up, and before the match can even start, like they say, oh he's not fit, he's not fit to be. But Rich just rolls him up anyway because he's like a dick now. He's trying to yeah. cement like he's an arsehole heel now. Boo him! And then at the end of the thing, Fortune run out, and AJ basically just challenges, challenges him to a match at turning point, and like, mm-hmm. all right, that, there's your main event for the pay per view. <laughs> so I don't know if they were trying to make it seem like so unpredictable, but like. Why don't you use book Rude versus Storm at turning point have the shocking conclusion to the main, to the pay per view, which makes people want to tune into the next impact? Like, my God, Rude's a heel now. What's going to happen on Impact yeah. on Thursday? And so then they have a weird mini feud with AJ and and Rude, and then eventually it becomes a thing. Uh, Rude goes in this feud with uh, Jeff Hardy for a while because Jeff Hardy came back. He had the feud with uh, it's kind of almost a redemption feud with Jeff yeah. Jarrett. Yeah. Including a time where I think it was a turning point where he beat Jeff Jarrett three times in one night. <laughs> where he basically had basically it was a he came out, immediately rolled him up, one, two, three, Jarrett beats him up like no we're restarting the match, they have a decent amount of match, Jeff Hardy wins again. Yeah. And then Jeff Jarrett attacks him again, tries to get a adds the bring the bell, goes to go beat up Jeff some more, gets rolled up a third time. Because Jeff Jarrett's a fud. <laughs> yes, he is. He is a total fud. And then they have a match at Final Resolution where it was a Jeff wins, he gets a title shot against Bobby Roode, and if Jeff Jarrett loses, like, if he loses, he's fired, but then also if Jeff Jarrett lost, either he or Karen would be fired, and turns out they both try to sabotage the other and say his thing, who's the authority figure for a while. You're like, oh, no, you know, you need me, you know, Jeff, he'll be alright, or like, Karen will be fine, but you need Jeff Jarrett, the founder of this company, and then, because also they had this thing where they had the fly on the wall thing, where there were always cameras recording people. I remember that. Which I think is decent enough because, like, like, some people do explain, like, some people do ask, like, oh, it just happened to be a camera at this moment backstage where these two are having a conversation, but the idea of, like, make position as if, like, the characters don't know yeah. that they're there. So then Sting plays footage and shows each other, like, look at what so-and-so's been doing to you. So, like, so I guess we need either... We can't <laughs> have... Sting's a telltale one. Aye. So, like, like look, look, look what he said, look. Like, uh, like, so I think it seems like we need to have both Jarrett's or no Jarrett's. And I think we're gonna have no Jarrett's so we fires both of them. <laughs> I mean say or in this time Sting does his transformation to the Joker esque Sting. Yeah. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. I thought it was okay. I thought it was interesting. I think it seems weird like a lot of people compare a mortal to the NWO, or at least it was a tried attempt to be the NWO. Mm. And I think given that Sting's the main threat to them and he has to change his character slightly, much like he did when he changed from Surfer to Crow, Crow in the first place. Again, is another thing like it's just a rinse repeat of NWO. Yeah, see so, that that 
right there. Mm-hmm. That is where the the beginnings of the negative period for Impact Wrestling. Yeah. Started see. No, I don't want to be that guy mm-hmm. that goes, oh, it's because of this and this and this. Uh-huh. But a lot of the time it is because of this and this and this. Mm-hmm. You know, like Dixie Carter, right? Mm-hmm. She, at the time, had a controlling stake and impact. Mm-hmm. She knew zilch about the wrestling business, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. She knew hee-haw, you know, to use a Scottish terminology. <laughs> well, she knew hee-haw, she knew bubkus, mm-hmm. you know. And... That fucking baldy, tashy bastard <laughs> knew less. All he knew how to do was how to fucking blow his boss, you know what I mean? You, you watch, you listen to Eric Bishop, he didn't even want to go to and he only went because as a favourite of Hulk, because Hulk wanted I mean, help negotiate the deal because he knew Russo was working with TNA and he didn't trust Russo uh, after he, what happened. And Hogan wanted somebody that was in his fucking back pocket. Bishop well, basically said he wanted me to basically be his Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart was it was used to be Hogan's legit manager for a while. See, Hogan, right? Mm-hmm. Hogan comes to TNA for whatever fucking reason because they wanted notoriety. Yeah, I well, they fucking got that. You know, he comes to TNA. He brings in fucking Eric Bischoff as his bitch, and him. Bischoff and Dixie Carter proceed to spend the next couple of years basically dismantling the company from the, from the inside out. I think I'm, I'm less harsh on Bischoff mainly because I'm listening to he's been doing some more TNA related stuff on his podcast and looking back on it. And there's some things that he he <coughs> feel as again he didn't want to go to TNA in the first place. Yeah, but, he, but when he was there, he did try he did try some stuff. Yeah, and, well, he, and he's and he's feeling him at when shit was wrong and shit went. I'm just more of the opinion, like, Bischoff, to me, right, from what I've seen of Bischoff and from what I've heard of him in interviews, mm-hmm. he doesn't seem like the sort of guy who would have just blindly gone into something. Mm-hmm. Without, why, in all these times when he was Impact or TNA as it was at the time, why did he not just put his goddamn foot down and say, no, this will be fucking stupid? Like, I think, also, like you said, about how he and Hogan wound up for taking away the 6 a ring for a while. yeah. But like, and he they asked him like, when he gets told away, like he said, when I went there, I asked some people who worked backstage in that and worked in the company, like, why do you have a six sided ring? Give me a, a good reason, and and the main only re- good reason they could give him was if people are flying through the channels and they see a six sided ring, it's going to be different, and they'll tune in. And he didn't think it was a good enough reason, like, which just because by the off chance that someone will be flicking through the channels, which not a lot of people do nowadays. You know, there's so many channels he went no man he's like this isn't like if you're just like being different he, he thought that the six air would basically be different for different sake and the six air ring didn't have an actual purpose the six air is rain though I mean for a lot of people I talk of like appreciate impact mm-hmm. and appreciated TNA when it was at its high point mm-hmm. a lot of people looked at that six air ring and a lot of people I've spoken to that are impact fans or were impact fans <laughs> go and they have that opinion that a lot of people backstage had. Like, mm-hmm. we went and caught a look at it and went, oh, the bus, a six, six-sided ring. Mm-hmm. And the minute they saw that, they'd be like, that would get the arse in the seat. No, no, but like, I think, I get what Bishop comes like, just, like, just saying, because it's different, it's because this is something nobody else is doing, doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing for you to be doing. That didn't seem to stop him in WCW. But, like, it's a thing where, 
Like, Impact's doing so well now, even though the fact that I'm hearing even less people are talking about the six-sided ring right nowadays. Cause yeah, no, that's because they have a product that does not need a fucking six-sided ring. Mm-hmm. So, where was I before that? <laughs> you were talking about uh, Bischoff and... Ah, yeah, I think, I, think we're talking, I think we're talking about Sting and that. Yeah, you were talking about Sting. So Sting and then, something that shouldn't have happened, like, we talked about, like, Hogan that came out after they did that tour Hogan and Hogan v Flair in like 2009 no. and that shouldn't have happened what also shouldn't have happened is promoting on Bound for Glory a match between Hulk Hogan and Sting no they weren't no they didn't, they didn't have very good matches when they were at their prime in WCW so what what, what made you think it was going to be any better here yeah so basically it seemed like Hogan was trying to retire rather than get into a match with Sting but Sting comes out and try and goads them into it and mm. Hogan does the thing like, fine, go out and match me, I'll fight you about for glory. And if you win, I'll give you Dixie Carter back the company. And then there's a point where he does it where he knows he's been played. He does it, and you and Dixie Carter and he immediately like covers his mouth like, oh shit, I've played right in his hands here. <laughs> and Sting just smells like, got all I wanted, ta ta. Yeah. <laughs> and they have proceeded to have a fucking terrible match, which Sting thankfully wins. Is it as terrible as Hogan and Flair's match that happened in TNA? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's worse. just as worse, I think. Maybe. Worse than that, God. So they have the match, and then a mortal comes in, beat down Sting, and then Hogan does the shittest Hulk up in history, throws some of the weakest shots he's ever seen. Gar. Uh-huh. <laughs> His deflated pythons and all that, and then he basically turns <laughs> face. <laughs> His deflated pythons. Gar. Yeah. Meh. He, he, so he buggers off of TV for a while. Good. So then Sting goes and gets thing with Bobby Roode. Uh, so they have a match. It seems weird. They were having a match at Victory Road. And, but Victory Road for a couple of years was basically built as a, a B pay-per-view or a bridge gap for lockdown. Yeah. Because they even put the road to lockdown. So like they already booked James Storm was going to get, he's finally going to get a shot at Bobby Roode at lockdown. But then they said, oh, but before then you're going to fight Sting in a non-title match and they may have a pay-per-view. Like, what's the point of having fucking Victory Road in the first place? Yeah. But then... Has such a shit fight. It feels like Sting is the authority very friendly going to teach Blurred a lesson, and they go for he goes for a scorpion death drop. There's a chair set up, and somehow Sting forgets how far back the chair is, and hits his head off the chair, and then Rude just rolls over, puts his arm on Sting, pins him, mm. and then the next night on Impact, Sting says like, "I need, I want to go back to be a full time wrestler. I can't be a wrestler and an authority figure. We need someone else to step in." And he has to convince, and they bring Hogan back as the authority figure. Mm. They do this thing for a few weeks where Dizzy Carr doesn't trust Hogan anymore because she, he basically tricked her and he signed over the company to her. Yeah. So he basically, they have to do this thing where Sting tries to vouch for Hogan to bring him in, like, he'd be different now, he's a good guy now. Yeah. Stand up for everybody there. And they, and they reluctantly, she accepts him as the authority figure. And then, talk about mistakes here. <laughs> Karen Angle gets fired. And uh, her on-screen role was executive VP of the knockout space. She was in charge of the women's division. So they are women's. They say, we need a new woman person in charge of the women's division. So who do they bring in? Brooke Hogan. Yep. But oh. she but she doesn't know anything about wrestling. I know. She never has or will. All she knows about wrestling is that my daddy is Hulk Hogan. <laughs> That's all. Mm-hmm. So she comes in, so now we've got two Hogan's, basically as on-screen authority figures at the same time, which nobody wanted. Can you can you imagine if any company was 
hit with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've got you only just got one Hogan running the shit. You've got two of them. Oh God, no, no two of them. When Hogan does come in, though, it does seem like he's genuinely. It seems like better when he's not getting himself too involved. Or at least that wouldn't last for very long. But you mean better when he's not going gar? Uh, so he he introduced this concept they do for a while, which again is a concept that worked for a while and not a lot of people talk about it and could have been really good. He, he created this concept called Open Fight Night, where what basically it was one impact among the BM Open Fight Night, right? And he basically said at least one title will be on the line each time you have one at Open Fight Night. Will be a different title each time. He he, he went back to making the TV title a title must be defended every week, which was good. Mm-hmm. And he said also. Uh, Basically, the idea of open fight is uh, if you've got an issue with someone and you call them out, they have to answer the call. You they have to step up and yeah. fight. So basically, it was a way for guys to have issues with each other to finally like settle their, their differences. <laughs> and they also introduced every oh now they would do the gut check. Yeah, which would uh, basically be a, a young guy who wants to get a contract comes in. They have a match where an impact star. More from that, they would lose. <laughs> and then the next week, a series of judges would help would basically decide whether or not they get a contract. And the first guy got his contract is Sam Silva because Ric Flair was on the panel and basically was said no. And the guy got a decent amount of promo that Flair went off script and said yes to the guy, <laughs> even though he wasn't meant to. And then Flair quickly disappeared and then like Al Snow or Taz came into the panel mm. and Flair left the company after that. And probably because also he said yes when he wasn't meant to. And I think the gutsy was a good way to like introduce new guys. Like you had Sam Shaw... Who now works in NXT as uh, Dexter Loomis and is doing pretty well. Oh. Yeah, Joey Ryan. Actually, less said about him, the better, maybe. Hey, until we found out he was a dirty, <laughs> I'd agreed with you. Like, he was a thing where they had a good portion of the fans who actually wanted to see him get hired, but then he didn't get hired. So he kept coming back every gut check, distracting people and causing a ruckus. And he got into a thing with Al Snow. With Joey Ryan. Aye, and Al Snow was like, I voted yes for you. Like, why are you such a And then he. He kept yelling at Alston, calling him like a stooge and all that and threw like water on him and then eventually like, alright Joey, you're going to get a contract and Joey's all happy and that was, and he signs it like, yes, I'm the newest member of the Impact roster and then Alston goes, eh, actually Joey, you didn't read the fine print, this is a contract for one night and this was leading up to quite well, Bound for Glory and he went, you're going to have a match at Bound for Glory and if you win that match, you get a contract. So who's my opponent? Me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he gets very close and goes, and I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> and also does have a decent match with him and then randomly Matt Morgan comes in as the muscle for Joey Ryan for a while yeah. and, that, and that doesn't go anywhere yeah. it basically helps Joey Ryan get part of the, become well, part of the company Matt Morgan where was it gonna go yeah, no. yeah. Oh, at least tried so many times with Matt Morgan and he actually could have done stuff with him although during this time period <laughs> if this is the time period I think it is when Impact was on challenge yeah yeah. In the UK it is. I remember watching a fantastical match <laughs> between Al Snow and Gradle. Oh yeah, that would be that would be a couple of years later. That was a grand match, <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, yeah. I remember Gradle that. won that with a rolling slice. <laughs> that was a fucking great match. Yeah, I think I've jumped there about so gut check and well, these were actually different concepts that were the concept they made them different, but were also actually interesting and good, not yeah. different for different sake. What? What if he's the fourth man? What Grado? What if it's Grado? I thought you were. Gonna, I couldn't tell you meant Grado or else no. Yeah, what if Grado's the fourth man? Oh, well, yeah, miracle! How he was able to get out of fucking Scotland and get to America. Wouldn't it be cool though? 
You hear Madonna's music come on, you're like, ah, oh, it's Grado! <laughs> Grado's in you and back chance! <laughs> Rolling Slice, man! That'd be cool. Can we move away from Grado for a bit now? Aye, alright. <laughs> anyway, we're <laughs> on. So it looks like Hogan threw well, he's not involving himself too heavily. Again, as I said, that wouldn't last very long. But then we have another idea which actually, we're actually stick around for a while, and again, it was not a case of just being different, it's actually an idea that created intrigue. We had Austin Aries, he was the longest reign next division champion at the time. He, uh, he started as a heel, but then slowly turned face, and he started fighting actually bigger guys, like he stood up to Billy Ray. Because mm. obviously, he, obviously Aries and Aries was like, well, I'm standing up to the big guy, I'm standing up to the bully. And then he had a match with Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe stepped back into the X-Division and briefly to have a match with Eddie's. Mm. And Eddie's won. And then Eddie said, like, I want a shot at the world title. I want to prove myself. Like, And he went, and, uh, well, he went, well, you've got two options. One, you stay X-Division champion or you, you can have your title shot, but you need to vacate the X-Division title. Yeah. So basically, you either walk out with nothing or you walk out with everything. And then Eddie's came back next week, like, like well, you've got options A and B, but how about option C? And he had the idea of, like, every t- year when Destination X team, whoever's the X Division champion can cash in the title and earn a shot at the Impact World title. And it was good for a couple of years because you had that, you had the X Division yeah. champion going for the, the world title. title. And he's usually the guy who would never before get a title shot before then. And then at the same time, you had this thing at uh, Destination X where they had a series of matches to crown the now new the new exhibition champion because to get option C the title had to be vacated. Yeah. So now you're going to oh who's going to be the new exhibition champion? It was very interesting, and so Eddie was the first time he first get a cash in. And he actually won the title from Bobby Roode, ending he was the longest reigning exhibition champion, and he ended Bobby Roode's longest reigning world title reign. Mm. So it was pretty good, and like. And obviously Roode was furious, and he was like, "Oh, that was a fluke! It was a fluke!" Nah. So they have a they have a match at Hard Justice, I think it was the pay-per-view, Hardcore Justice, mm. right where he gets through. And Eddie's didn't have a decent, it didn't have much of a reign in his first title reign because he wins the world title, he gets a rematch against Brute and wins retains. Then uh, he gets mixed up in the Aces and Eights storyline. He has a match against a member of Aces and Eights, but it's just a fight, not an actual match. It's not for the title because one of the particular members of Aces and Eights tried to take him out and he wanted revenge against them. Yeah. Like... Why is that part of your pay-per-view? Why are you not defending the title? <laughs> and then at Brown for Glory 2012, you'd lose to the winner of that year's Brown for Glory series, which was Jeff Hardy. Mm. And weirdly, and Eddie's turned to you, I think, on the go-home impact because he knew Jeff was going to get cheered. Mm. And Eddie's basically outwardly said, I know I'm... You basically outwardly gave away the result of the match on the go-home impact by going, like, I feel like I'm being set up to fail against you, Jeff. <laughs> so basically, it's been like, yeah, basically, so basically spelling to everybody, yeah, Jeff's winning. Yeah, he did. But look, Aries, it was good that Aries got to be a heel again because Aries is much better as a heel. Yeah. But it was good. But I like, I like the idea of option C. And actually, did it as far as as recently as 2018, 2019 when Brian Cage was X Division champion? Mm. I think it may have went away for a while and then came back because around about Slammiversary time, because it was Slammiversary then Destination X. So it was around that time where the X Division got more competitive because everybody wanted to beat the X Division champion. When Destination X rolled around, because they knew that was their ticket to being world champion, yeah. potentially. So it made the X Division title something to be sought after, because if you can hold on to it to this period, you can get your spot in a main event match. So, well, say, when, I, when I tuned back into Impact proper, mm-hmm. the, the, champion at, the X Division champion at that time was Dave Christ. Mm-hmm. 
No, it's Jake Christ. Jake Christ. Dave's Jake the one that's dirty, right? Uh, Dave Christ, the one that got sacked. No, Jake Christ was the X Division chair. Mm-hmm. Never, get, never get those two confused. Yeah, because the first big event I watched being a reborn Impact fan <laughs> was the, the ladder match for the X Division title. Mm-hmm. That was a great match. And Ace Austin won. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I briefly mentioned them. I think this is a key story. And I think people either love it or they hate this. Yeah. Let's talk about aces and eights. <sighs> Loved aces and eights. They were bastards. Mm-hmm. Utter the, bastards. Yeah, I liked the the intrigue around it. You didn't know who was involved, and they it kind of really gripped you, and it made you want to tune in every week because yeah. you know, I think it was an eight after Slam anniversary. Sting came back and got a title shot against uh, Rude. He lost again. He came out, the next thing he got beat up by a group of guys, and then they kept coming back and attacking people. They used a hammer on people. Yeah. Like, and it can't feel like nobody was safe. Like, they took the gut check guy, they attacked main eventers, they attacked mid car, like, nobody was safe. Yeah. Like, ODB and Eric Young were doing a thing where they were a team, and they did a thing where, like, they made, like, ODB watch as they smashed in Eric Young's ankle with a hammer <laughs> and ripped him off TV for a while. Uh, also, Garrett Bischoff became a thing, Garrett Bischoff's son. Who, he, he, he appeared for a while as a referee and they called him Jackson James or something like that he was yeah. called and then was then revealed to be Garrett Bischoff he's the son of Eric Bischoff and he was made the referee in uh, the Sting-Hogan match at Bengogori and basically wouldn't screw over Sting mm. so his father like turned on him so then he basically tried to stand up to his dad and became a babyface and it was pretty bland to be honest with you Yeah. the highlight of it was a lethal lockdown match Team Garrett v Team Bischoff Sorry, Team Eric, where yeah. part of the finish was him smashing a guitar over his own father's head. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty much when Eric Buffett disappeared from TV. I don't know how much longer he stayed around behind the scenes. Yeah. But he was gone pretty soon after that. He was no longer on screen talent. Mm-hmm. But Ace and and they got a lot of flack for basically, it seemed like they were capitalising on the success of Sons of Anarchy, the TV show. And I remember when I hadn't actually watched Sons of Anarchy, and then I watched it and there are some similarities, but like in terms of like the the terms, like the the guys are like the, the guys who are the president, the VP, and then the sergeant at arms. Yeah, and things like that. I have never seen a single episode of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, never seen it. I've only watched a few episodes, so I can't really talk as like an expert about it. But like, I loved like the intrigue around. Like, you didn't know who it was going to be, and Jeff Hardy got injured by a member. He said that's no surrender, but still went on a. When the Bound for Glory series. Yeah. And then it seemed like Billy Ray was turning face and wanted to help Sting stand up to Aces and Eights because we're going to do a match, a tag match, two members of Aces and Eights for they two. And basically the idea was if Aces and Eights lose, they'll disappear forever. Yeah. And if they win, they can come and go in the impact zone as they please. And also Aces and Eights won, but then they pulled the mask off the one of the members and it was revealed to be Devon. Yeah, I remember and, that. And it was interesting because Devon disappeared. For a couple months while I was still TV champion, it was rumours oh, Devon's had contract issues with TNA and all that. So you legit didn't expect to see Devon there. And like the look on Bubba's face is like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> when when Billy was a heel, people would chant Devon's better. <laughs> and then the very the very next impact when uh, he was cutting his first promo as part of his next people chanted Devon Billy's better. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very cool. Uh, so they'll now the Ace and Ace were causing rough shot over everybody and the thing with Hogan, Hogan didn't fully trust Billy Ray but like you were part of the same heel faction so like 
how is he any worse than you? You're you're a, you're a bastard now. You're a good guy now. So, like, what's the difference? Yeah. And then, then they did the storyline where they they made it part of the thing where Billy Ray was doing it had a relationship with Brooke Hogan. I know, I know. They had that, and they had the fucking carry on. Hogan didn't like the fact that he was shagging his daughter. Uh-huh. Then they had that goddamn wedding. Which the only memorable bit is when Taz reveals himself as a member of Aces and Ace, where he takes his jacket off and he's got a vest thing on it, and people behind him can see the pattern behind his. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, and then the slow really turns around Aces and Ace on the thing. And I like the reveal on that. And then they started revealing members that you had to look gallows being revealed as a member. Yeah. Uh, Mike Knox was revealed as a member. Yeah. And all that. And then eventually Garrett Bischoff and Wes Briscoe were revealed themselves as members and they beat up like Kurt Angle. Hmm. <laughs> After basically Angle was trying to take him under his wing and then they betrayed him. And I remember there were being rumours that Chris Masters was going to come to TNA as a member of the Saints, but that never happened. And then Angle storms the clubhouse looking for the VP. That would, that would have been nice for Chris Masters to have something to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, Angle storms the clubhouse looking for the VP and rips the mask off him, but you won't see it. And, he, and he's yelling, what you, How could you, man? And the next week it's revealed to be D'Lo Brown. Yeah. It was great, which was pretty cool. Uh-huh. I, d- I did like that in the last couple of weeks of Impact. Mm-hmm. You know, when Dio's on the phone talking about getting the band back together and then he stands <laughs> up. Aces and Aces. Aces and Aces vest on his chair. Uh, Although, saying that, I'm not sure his Aces and Aces vest will fit him nowadays. <laughs> maybe maybe he's bought a new one that's bigger. Maybe he's bought two and stitched them together. <laughs> so Aces he is a fat man. So basically, everybody in Aces and Aces has been revealed yet. Like, I don't think Anderson joined the group. Uh, Mr. Anderson <laughs> doesn't have the same ring as Kennedy. Kennedy. But, so everybody's been revealed except the big mystery lurking over us. Who's the president of Aces and Aces? Who's the main guy? Yeah. And uh, through helping Bishop, sorry, through helping Hogan fight Aces and Aces, Billy Ray earns a title shot. At the World Title at Lockdown yeah. against Jeff Hardy. And then at the end, Ace and Nates all surround the ring and they're all climbing in. And they're like, it looks like Jeff and Billy had to put their differences aside to stand up to Ace's Nates. Then slowly, uh, D1 pulls the hammer, throws it to Billy, who slowly turns around, smacks Jeff in the back <laughs> of the head. And they got a good reaction because people were throwing garbage at the ring and all that. And Hogan and Brooke were outside the ring and like, you're like, how could you? And he's yelling back at Brooke, you meant nothing to me. Yeah, he's like, you meant nothing, bitch, with a nose like your dad. And I, I just love the reveal of the heat they got in it. This was probably one of the best runs of Billy's career because he finally won a world title, which people didn't think him, he would ever win a world title. Yeah. And he went on this great run. Oh, Devon never won a world title. Don't think so, no. Don't think Devon's held a singles title. It was weird that for a while, well, they had, yeah, but he once had a couple of rings as TNA uh, television champ. Oh, right. right. So he said that. But he, he did a thing for a couple of weeks where Billy basically went through everything that happened since the next day. We basically tried to basically explain, he tried to make everything make sense as to how who got revealed, and that basically explained why what everybody's gripe in the group was with impact and why they wanted to get to yeah. join the group. Yeah, it was quite interesting the uh, way he did it and trying to make it make sense. and there's something that we kind of skipped over with AJ Styles that we had to at least mention. Probably the worst thing AJ's done in his entire career. That is the, uh, the Claire Lynch storyline. Oh, go on. Where basically, Kazarian and Daniel stormed their group as a heel 
his eight heels, and they say they seem to had this information about AJ Styles, and they're like, what are they doing? What 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 do they have on AJ? And they have these pictures with AJ and Dixie Carter, and they basically accuse AJ of having a favorite Dixie, and that's why AJ has been such a cornerstone of TNA. Mm. And then like the Dixie and. Uh, Dixie and AJ are acting austerely. Dixie Carr's husband comes out and on TV smacks AJ <laughs> in the face because he thinks he's shagging his missus. And they just reveal, like, we know we're not having an affair. And they bring out this actress called Claire Lynch who's, who was pregnant and she comes out and she thinks she was an addict and she was the niece of Dixie Carr. And, like, yeah. Dixie and uh, AJ were helping her get better. Like, I don't know why that needed so much secrecy and all that. Mm. And then... Uh, it's one of those things. AJ, AJ and... Crangle beat Kaz and Daniels for the tag titles and then in the rematch Kaz and Daniels win them back and then they reveal that Claire Lynch the father of Claire Lynch's baby was AJ mm. or as a or as Daniels put it the bastard's dad is AJ Styles <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she admits yeah that's true and AJ's like I don't even remember that like I don't and then it's revealed at the end that Colmation uh, is that a lawyer comes in and reveals that yeah she's not pregnant she drugged AJ and it's basically she was helping Kaz and Daniels blackmail <laughs> And the reason they had a lawyer come in and not Claire Lynch herself come in and explain this is because the actress who played Claire Lynch, she was not of a wrestling background, she was an actress who mainly did like the shopping network and shit like that. Yeah. And uh, apparently she wasn't used to like wrestling fans and a lot of wrestling fans sent very harsh things to her online and very threat they made threats towards her. She yeah. basically like, I want out of this, I want away from wrestling, I don't it, want this to impact my acting career. It's sad that. Yeah. It is sad because wrestling fans can be quite I mean I look at both of us with some of the harder comments we make. Mm. Wrestling fans can be cunts. You you can be. Cats and Daniels uh, took the piss out of the storyline in an interview and they joked about the, the way they hired, the way they went about hiring the actress to play Claire and joked like they had two actresses and I guess they didn't want whoever played Claire to be harder than Dixie Carter because Dixie Carter thinks very highly of herself. We didn't want the actress to be harder than Dixie Carter. Why couldn't we just pick the dead person? <laughs> like, and also, I mean, I know it's hard. But at least Dixie Carter's got a chance of looking cuter on the corpse. They, they talked about like what information do like Kaz and Daniels have. They, they wanted like originally it looked like Kaz was the one being manipulated by Daniels. Yeah. And like part of the one idea that was pitched to them, they said was oh they revealed that Kaz is sleeping with AJ's sister. Yeah. Then AJ went yeah, but I wouldn't be angry at that. He's one of my best friends. If he was my sister, I'd be happy. Mm. <laughs> so they had to come up with something very convoluted. And I think part of it was. It was felt by people in management, i.e. Hogan and Bischoff, yeah. that AJ is a good wrestler, but he's not got much character, so they, they had to put him in these weird storylines to try and get the character of AJ out. Yeah. Uh, so then AJ, after a while, after another loss to Christopher Daniels, then says, like, like I, I need to go away. I'm, I'm sick of doing things the right way. I need to do things my way. And he disappears for a while, and he comes back with, like, long hair. He's kind of basically closer to the hair he's got now. Yeah. So when he started growing it out, He's got kind of a beard grown, and he comes back, and basically it's the idea of like he's this lone wolf, like and people from Empire, like you need to stand with us and fight against this, and it means everybody together, like you're with us or you're against us. Yeah. And like he basically just doesn't have any interest in fighting alongside like, everybody, and then Aces and Eights try and recruit him, and it looks like he's actually going to join them, and then he just takes the hammer and starts bashing people's heads <laughs> in, like like fuck you, I'm not joining you, and then eventually he wins the twenty thirteen. Brownfield Glory sees and beats Billy Ray mm. for the title. Although Billy Ray had already lost the belt to Chris Sabin as part of the option C. I suppose. But then he then he won it back two weeks later, so it's kinda of felt sad for Sabin that he got this run with the title 
and then lost. <laughs> For and two then, weeks. And then, I don't know if he was doing it in real life, but in kayfabe, at least he was dating Velvet Sky. And so he went from being the guy who won the title, he was the guy who was ex- a staple of the X-Division, now the world champion, to then dating Velvet Sky and slowly being a dickhead boyfriend to her, and then fully turning heel. Hmm. So, you know, I felt bad for saving at this time. <laughs> and what's sad about the Aces thing is that the way it kind of petered out, like members were leaving, and then guys were getting written out, and then they were infighting amongst the group, and eventually after after Billy won- lost the title, he had a match with Anderson, and then that was basically the end of uh, Aces. Billy Well, not end of Billy, but end of Aces and Eights. But uh, also they did this funny thing where they had a funeral for Aces and Eights. It was basically a piss take where they had Angle, Magnus, uh, Sting, Mike Tenet and all that taking the piss out of Aces and Eights, basically saying good riddance. They're in an actual funeral parlour. And then suddenly the coffin opens and like, in Mr. Anson pops out like, oh, is that today? Yeah. Comes in and he's a bit pissed. Like, <laughs> So basically the, the idea is what the Angle... Like died and like like well it's done now let's just move on yeah so I think they did some good stuff with these names it's sad that kind of after the reveal of Billy Ray that it didn't have the same momentum that it did before true yeah and then there's a bit of controversy around the AJ around this time because AJ wins the title and then he comes out and cuts kind of this shootish promo on Dixie Carter. And it looks like he's just going to be the heel, Dixie's the face or something like that. And then they turn around and Dixie Carter cuts this heel promo on, on agents. He's calls him ungrateful and everything like that. And he's basically like, so, you know, she starts becoming a heel authority figure. Basically, it's like, either you fall in line with me or you've got a, or you might as well just fuck off. Yeah. And AJ, around this time, leaves with the belt and on TV refuses to sign a contract. And then... In real life, AJ was not prepared to date a very substantial pay cut mm. and basically said, like, I'm done. And a lot of people felt this was the true end of Impact because AJ Styles is a big loss to them because he'd been there since the beginning. So him leaving mm. was seen as, like, a death nail for them because he left the belt. They put Magnus in as the top heel at the time. He won the title and then AJ came back and they had Magnus beat AJ because the undisputed, like, type champion. Mm. So AJ then left for real and then shortly after joined uh, New Japan and yeah. joined Bullet Club and all that and that led him on the path to being coming to WWE. So I think he did better off leaving but like you'll see the big thing that they let AJ Stills run arguably their biggest homegrown guy yeah. slip through their fingers. And then Hogan left and the last segment of Hulk Hogan's time in TNA was him telling Dixie I'm not going to follow, follow you I'm not going to fall in line I'm done. And Dixie, and Dixie doesn't want him to go. So she grabs on his leg and he's trying to leave with her still holding on to him. <sighs> and that's the last image of Hulk Hogan and TNA. <laughs> and it was quite embarrassing. Yeah. It, it sounds it. It was. It sounds it. So, like, we're nearly 50 minutes, 50 minutes in and we've already talked about so much. I'm sorry if I'm going out fast for people, but like, <laughs> I'm trying to get in so much because, like, Aces and eights is definitely worth talking about. Yeah, and uh, aces and eights aside, there is so much to talk about in the stakes of impact, you know. This is when I think where big people were leaving. And AJ and Holden will be the first of quite a few people to leave in the next couple of years after that. And but AJ also being the biggest, I think people were more happy to see Hogan finally just fuck off. I would, I would think so. Yes, I would think so. Yeah, I think Double J. I think we're about this time. I can't remember when it was, but he resigned 
as far as from TNA, but he still remained an investor, so he still has some stake in the company as the original founder of the company. What now? Well, no, I remember this time. I don't think he has any say in the company at the moment. Thank God. So, yeah, AJ like, left and Impact went through a difficult way because uh, just as their, their deal with Spike was coming up, uh, Spike wanted two things no man on woman violence and no. Did I want Vince Russo involved at all? Then the conclusion of the uh, the the, uh, the thing of with Sorelle and Dixie Carter being the heel authority figure and the way she was kind of written it for a while was she uh, the Dudleys or Team 3D yeah, putting, her, putting her to a table. table putting her to a table and her getting her so that was one and then Vince Russo secretly Impact said oh yeah you know what Vince Russo is not a part of the company anymore he was he was he was a, he was a consultant creatively or whatever yeah and uh, he went he, he was making emails creative notes to uh, Mike Tenet but somehow sent them to Mike Johnson, who worked with PW Insider, one of the like news sites. Yeah. And then that's somehow, it. like Johnson and Tene don't even aren't even the same, aren't even the same letter. No. Like, how the fuck do you make that mistake? <laughs> so Russo accidentally sends it to the wrong person. It gets out that he's involved. It gets back to Spike just as Impact's deals coming up and they're about to renew their TV deal, and and Spike are obviously furious. So basically, Impact is taking off Spike. And they yeah. need to find a new TV deal. And this is again where people thought that uh, Impact was done because obviously a loss of TV deal killed ECW and WCW. Yep. But then they managed to go to a network called Destination America, which is in a reach is estimated to be 38 million less than where they were before. Yeah. So less people, but apparently they were, they were getting some of the highest ratings that that network had ever had. Probably because few people knew who the fuck Destination America was. Yeah, but they, still. And they moved out of the impact zone because they, in 2013 they started going on the road, but then they decided it was cheaper to even the same place. So they went away from the impact zone and they started taping somewhere in New York. Yeah. I think it may have been the Manhattan Centre even. It may have been, yeah. It had, it had a look of that when you actually see clips from that time. Yeah. It looked, it looked legit. Looked when, I say when we were talking about 2013, I actually went to a TNA live event in 2013. Did you? January you 2013. This is hot during the 18th thing, so not all the members of the movie. We don't know Billy's the president yet. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Hardy wasn't on the show because he was... He was ju- banned from travel. This is during the time he couldn't enter the UK, despite being the champion. So twice... They wrote Jeff Hardy out, by the way, uh, before the UK tour, they explained him not being there. And in 2013, they had a mass member of Ethan basically took out his knee with a hammer, Oof. and that was why he wasn't there. So, and uh, it was actually a good show. You had uh, RVD was the exhibition champion for a while, which, wasn't, which wasn't as good as it should have been. He left in mid-2013, just as soon as he dropped the bill. Yeah. Uh, you had Magnus v. Billy Ray. Billy Ray was a face at the... And the main event was... Uh, Devon and Luke Gallows yeah. and a tie team cage match against Kurt Angle and Sting. Not bad. But it was weird. Uh, and it showed our challenge, Sam, because uh, we, we had the break and then we had a couple of matches and then we had to set the cage up for the main event. And uh, they, they had to take all the way to set the cage up and said it was going to take exactly 17 minutes. But the ring announcer chose the wrong turn of phase to describe how they were going to put the cage together. Goes, we just need 17 minutes to erect the steel cage. I went, well, he's an older man. It takes him 17 minutes to get an erection. <laughs> <laughs> I know, cheap joke. It was cheap. It was. But anyway, so they moved to a new network. Also, 
around this time, James Storm turns heel and he's starting this weird cult group. He's a group called the Revolution. I remember then. And uh, he comes out and he uh, he does a story with Mickey James where she you try and get her to recruit her to his side. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, this thing where apparently they only did it because it, it happened in, a, in the show House of Cards. So they basically did it, ripped it off an impact where. Basically, they went to a train station and basically James Storm pushes her onto the track. You don't see it, but it's implied a train was coming. So it's implied that in kayfabe, James Storm murdered Mickey James. Yeah. And I remember, this is one of the time I think I'd given up on Impact shortly after Hogan and AJ left. So I, kinda, I was done with the company for a while. Yeah. And I remember hearing that, oh, James Storm murdered Mickey James. And it was just, that was one of the roll your eyes like, ah, oh, and this. And I'll admit, at the time, I was like, can this company not just fucking die? Hey. Like, well, it was in a shit heap at the time. Like, given what was happening, they were having stories where people get killed, and yeah. it was in such a shithole, and, like, and I was like, oh, can this company not die yet? Because I pretty much A lot of people that have that viewpoint about certain other companies, that. I know, but, like, still, it was, this was in a bad period. I think a lot of people had the thing. Like, no, even people, fans had that yeah, thought. People were, people were in the thing already, like, it was only a matter of time before yeah. Impact was done. People that hated it had that view. People that loved it were going, just let it go. Like, also, we Eric, tried. In 2014, Eric Young won the TV, won down the world title. Yeah, just about a week after. But a couple weeks after uh, Dan Another Brown. bearded, happy-go-lucky Diddy won a title. Yeah. And then Dixie Carter made reference to Daniel Bryan by grabbing his like, See, I owned this look before anybody else did, and all that. Like, oh, fuck off, Dixie. Yeah. He didn't have that much of an eventful run. He lost it a couple months later to Bobby Lashley, who this would be the start of Lashley basically dominating. Like, going, going through TNA and basically being a much better version of what he was in WWE. Yeah. Like, this is why people were so excited when he finally came back to WWE. But when WWE did the exact same thing with him, they did the first thing. Mm hmm. Well, up until they put him with MVP. I like, I like him in MVP. Yeah, I do, I do like that. I love the fact that MVP looks like he's trying to build some kind of all-black stable. Mm. You know, because everybody tries to recruit. Uh-huh. Recruit, not mm. recruit. <laughs> Must correct myself, eh? But no, everybody he's trying to recruit <laughs> is like, well, he's got Lashley, he tried to recruit Apollo Crews, he's tried <laughs> to recruit Neil... Uh, no, um, Alexander. Alexander, yeah, I get you. You know, he's he's basically he's basically trying to do what we should have done with the new day, mm-hmm. made them serious, not a bunch of happy-go-lucky serial toting bastards. Yeah, yeah. Moving on, but we go in twenty fourteen. They actually did uh, tapings in Glasgow for the first time. They did it again in twenty fifteen as well. Yeah, but because uh, weirdly, Impact's been seems so popular in the UK, ooh, despite ooh. the fact even when the points where they were at their worst in the US. So they came over in 2014 in Glasgow and they had Eddie Edwards and Dave Richards recently made their debuts as uh, the Wills. They dropped the American bit from their name when they used to be called the American Wills in Ring of Honor. Yeah. And it seems a big thing when they came in and they were teased uh, as representing a new mysterious TNA investor. <laughs> Basically, they were going to be a face of whatever to come in to challenge Dixie Carter. Yeah. And it's a mystery for a few, like, who do you work for? Who's this investor? And at the end of Impact, they came out and then you hear them familiar. Ticket noise, and out came MVP, <laughs> and, revealed, and he revealed himself as the investor. And yet, he came in, in January. He was a face, got control of the company, and then and uh, by like April May time, turned heel on Eric Young, <laughs> tried to win the world title from lost, and then became the manager of Bobby Lashley, 
and Bobby Lashley won the title. Yeah. So almost almost like WWE, except the fact that in this WWE version, Lashley didn't actually win the title. When what was the name of that bloody crew? That had Lashley and. Oh yeah, this is, this wouldn't be this group. It would be later on in twenty three. You start a group called the Beatdown Clan. The Beatdown Clan. Him, that was Kenny it. King, MVP Kenny King, uh, Loki, and Samoa Joe. Yeah, I was going to say Samoa Joe was there too. Yeah, like a lot of people were talking about Samoa Joe. People were worried that Joe stayed in Impact too long before he ended up leaving. Yeah, he didn't leave till like twenty fifteen. Yeah, and a lot of people were worried that oh, it's too late for Joe in, in WWE. But I think the fact that he probably should have like beaten uh, AJ for the title. During that feud, other than that, I think he's had a pretty decent run for himself because, like, he's a much better commentary than pe- commentator than people would give him credit for. So, like, I'd, I'd like to see him get yeah. some significant in ring time, but he keeps getting injured at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also the fact he's to be injured so often is what's holding him back. Yeah, I do love how like some of the jokes he makes, like especially when Drew's in the ring, like when he hits the Glasgow kiss, everybody he just yells, "Give us a kiss," <laughs> stuff like that. Well, the thing I actually forgot to mention from like when. Uh, Saban won his shot at the uh, I know I'm all over the place but like again I want to be the most accurate and like more detailed wasn't, what, wasn't impact all over the place at this point yeah like, so you're, in, not, you're not wrong like in like I think it was 2013 when uh, Chris Saban was getting his shot at the uh, the title he was like division champion and he like we're coming to Destiny I'm going to be the champion so he wasn't in a match against an involved suicide and suicide somehow won the title <laughs> and I'd be like well so suicide's going to get option C and then out comes Hogan with uh, TJ Perkins yeah. and says that hey this guy's suicide so who the fuck are you basically and he says this guy has always been suicide and I'm like no he hasn't everybody knows that he hasn't <laughs> and uh, it was revealed that it was Austin Aries under a mask basically because he was so desperate cause as the guy who created Option C yeah. he was so desperate to get the belt back that he impersonated suicide <laughs> and then uh, basically had a match against the real suicide uh, TJP who they then changed his name to Manic but yeah. then again, like he still had the mask on, but like it was like but we just seen him. We just you just told us who he is. So what's the point of keeping the mask on him? Mm-hmm. We know what's TJ Perkins. So basically, it was Eddie v Manic versus Saban, and Saban won the belt back to get. I think it was just a one thing where you just did the reveal. Eddie's basically impersonating suicide. When in current Impact a few weeks back, you had Johnny Swinger dressing up as <laughs> a suicide. So yeah, mm-hmm. we were talking a wee while back, probably. I really want to know who the who the current version of Suicide is because I know it's probably not TJP, but it's, AC Romero. <laughs> I don't think he's dropped that much weight. That's a very slimming costume, you know. <laughs> well, they say black is slimming. Yeah. <laughs> AC Romero, <laughs> triple XL. In the uh, in twenty fourteen, for some reason, big game such high uh, ratings. Destination America drops DNA. Yeah. And they put him in a, a, a very difficult spot, apparently, where they weren't getting a lot of viewers. So, again, people are like, well, you come back from losing one TV deal, you can't possibly come back from two. Yeah. And somehow they lived again. People started calling them like the company that wouldn't die or the Michael, Michael, right. the Michael Myers of wrestling. I've Hell heard yeah. Hell so yeah. So they moved to Pop, which basically was, used to be a shopping cha- home shopping channel. And... Apparently they weren't even getting paid for producing television. They were just saying like, "Here's a platform for your TV show." Yeah. And somebody who's very key to Impact that we haven't said I mentioned who debuted, I think, before February 2013, and was squashing jobber for a few weeks, was uh, the kayfabe nephew of uh, Dixie Carter, uh, Ethan Carter the Third, formerly Derry Bateman. And I remember first East first vignette he came in. He came for the team and then I kept saying like, 
Like, is that fucking Derek Bateman? Yeah. And I'm like, fucking hell, they'll take anybody, won't they? And then over the next year or so, you've been proved like, he's actually pretty good as DC3. Yeah. And then he went on this undefeated run. And in like 2015, I think it was, he finally won the world title. Yep. He, he had Rockstar Spud as his... I remember that. That was, that was when I was getting really into Impact, when he had Rockstar Spud as his little bitch. Aye. And, and then the whole story when Spud finally got some cojones and was like, no, I will not do what I'm told anymore. <laughs> Rawr! He also had uh, Tyrus. Aye. Clay as his muscle as well. Tyrus. Tyrus is like a fucking right-wing political commentator on them. Is he? Something like that. Like, EC3, like, I think he was one of the guys who they helped try and... He was one of the st- standout guys for the next few years, even when they were in shit, like, you can build a company around a guy like EC3. Yeah. And he can be the top guy. And yet he was another one who went to WWE and got rammed. Yeah. MV, and they did another set of tapings in Glasgow in 2015, and this is when we had that match, I said, Grado versus... Uh, oh, Snow, yes. Like, remember they did British Boot Camp? Where the first season was won by Rockstar Spud and that yep. got him in. Yep. Which they really then revealed like they knew Impact knew who they wanted to win season one out at Rockstar, of a uh, British Bootcamp and it wasn't Spud. So basically Spud won like basically Spud winning was basically off his own personality and getting over with yeah. the fans. because uh, they had these two what these two sisters on it who they wanted Impact were hoping would win it. And then they lost and they basically just retired shortly after. <laughs> and then season two of British Bootcamp, they had a lot of top guys who, it's sad that they didn't actually properly sign down because you had Noam Dar, WWE, Kayla Ray, WWE, Will Ospreay, big star in Japan. Yeah. Jimmy Havoc, AEW. Uh, quite a few Dave Mastiff again, Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews, I think, won, won it. And stayed around for a while. Was called Mandrews, even that name. Yeah. He's in WWE as well. Mandrews. Uh, so then, Grado auditions for British Bootcamp gets rejected. Comes to the next auditions, gets rejected again, and then eventually keeps through his persistence. And then they made a, key, a story where basically Al Snow hates Grado. What? And actually, I think the second or third episode of that wrestling daft, you have Al Snow as a guest, and he and Grado are all reminiscing about the time in TNA and all that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's worth checking out. Yeah. And Grado's taking wee shots. He, he and Grado are taking wee shots at each other. Like, uh, Al Snow's in pretty decent shape for his age. And Grado went, oh, did you finally start to decide to go to the gym? So it was all like in good fun between each other. So they have a match at the taping. Uh, Grado won. Then the beatdown clan come out and beat him down. Mm. And then this big, massive, hooded figure comes out to the crowd. Who could this be? It's Drew Galloway. <laughs> Drew Galloway makes his debut because... He'd been re- released the following year. He'd mainly been in places like Evolve and ICW, mm. and then finally made his debut in an Impact. And he basically his whole gimmick was, "I'm standing up for wrestling fans. I'm standing up like for the for the for the business that I love and all that." And he started that group, The Rising, as I said, with no. Micah and Eli Drake, who would go on to do good things. Eli Drake, that is not man. If he was Micah, he would fucking disappear. Yeah. Uh, but that was short lived but Drew is another one he and EC3 were two of the guys like he realised like these are two guys you can build a company around you because oh, yes. like guys like Angle hung around for a while Stein left in like 2014 I think it was yeah so he had quite a few guys leaving but he still had top guys you could rely on and I believe this is around the time 2015 where they have the global force invasion <laughs> Led by Jeff Jarrett's newcoming GFW, and 
to be fair to him, when they, they announced the idea of, of JFW, it seemed like a good idea because they weren't, they were going to have their own show, but they were going to have guys from different companies, they were going to have working relations with each companies. So it basically seemed like they were going to try and be the new age version of like the NWA. Yeah, can I just say something in regards to Jeff Jarrett? Mm-hmm. I know he'll probably never listen to our show, but I hope he will. Fuck you, Jeff Jarrett, and your stupid bullshit. I think they, made, Idiot. I think they did make money for a while when, when Jeff Jarrett initially was part of the company and, and creative. So I think that's why they tried to bring him back. And like I think he basically he, he used Impact to try and get notoriety for GFW. But in fact, they did a whole series of tapings for their TV show, which never got a TV deal. Yeah. So they taped TV before getting a TV deal. So, if it's, so a company that's never been on TV is invading Impact, and we're supposed to see them as a threat. But yeah. in fact, that even though quite a few of the guys were well-known, the guys that came in, they still didn't know who the people were. Like, you had Kurt Hawkins coming in, as he, under his real name, Brian Myers. Him and Trevor Lee won the tag titles for a while. You had Magnus coming in as the head of the group. Yeah. He was the champion. You had quite a few, like, well, like the Singh brothers were part of oh, GFW yeah, for a while. Yeah, yeah. Some really ripped old guys. Uh, and you look at the talent of, like, the, who were at the, the tapings, they, they never, like, the Bullet Club, Bobby Roots, mm. Mickey James, Shelton Benjamin, those kind of guys, David Boy Smith Jr. was there. Yeah. So you had a good talent, but he just didn't, they just couldn't find a TV deal to air it. And so, and then their website was fucking laughable because there were barely any details about the company on it. And then Jeff Jarrett was selling this, started getting this involved this GFW Gold thing, which is basically a permanent scheme involved in selling gold. So that's not a good look for your fucking company, is it? No, but he has a weird ass text or something. No, he's uh, from Nashville, is he not? He's from Tennessee, is he not? Oh, he's a Tennessee person. Tennessee boy. Tennessee boy. Mm-hmm. The fucking hillbilly likes gold. Anyway, they did this whole light invasion. They did a thing at Lambert with the. Oh, I mentioned the uh, the TV slash global slash legend title, haven't I? Yeah. Well, and then it be- they brought it back as the King of the Mountain title. Yeah, the King of the Mountain. So they, so they had a King of the Mountain match at Lambert 2015, which Jeff Jarrett won, surprisingly, and became the King of the Mountain champion. But then the very next day at the tapings, he lost it to, uh, I believe, PJ Black, the former Justin Gabriel. Yeah. And then Bobby Roode won it, and it was, like, it was a case of it was just a oh, case to have like King of the Mountain matches on free TV. Yeah, I think they soon learned that not every match for the title can be a King of the Mountain match. And I think once or twice they tried to do one-on-one King of the Mountain matches, but they quickly realised that doesn't fucking work. <laughs> I think what was funny though was they did a thing where they had Team GFW v Team Impact, and I can't remember the fourth member, but three out of the four people of Impact were like main parts of the company at the time, but they weren't stalwarts of the company because he had the Wills on the team, had only yeah. been there since 2014, and he had Drew Galloway, who had only been there since January of that year. So this yeah. is your... I think Eric Young turned heel in this time. He, mm. tried, he tried to help GFW win, but then they, then they still lost. And then basically, was, the whole roster was against Eric Young for portraying the company. Hmm. And Eric Young went on this maniac heel run with Bram as kind of his backup. Yeah. Yeah. And Impact also, I think because of, of the money issues, they got into the habit of basically taping months and months in advance. Which we still do now. Yeah, but not as, I think as badly as they, do, they did here because, like, yeah, like, when Eric Young left in 2016, I think it was, he dropped the title to Bram at a set of tapings, right? And Bram was showing up in place like ICW with a King of the Mountain belt. The thing was, he was showing up with a belt 
weeks before he actually won it on TV. So you see Bram on ICW, and then you maybe turn on Impact, and you'd see Eric Young still parading around with the belt. Mm. So that goes, and like I remember Drew showed up uh, with the TNA title at uh, ICW, and nearly started a fucking riot because Impact, for whatever reason, ICW fans hated TNA. Yeah. The, the whole chance of like fuck TNA <laughs> would bring it to the show, and like people, people started resenting Grado, and Grado started making Impact more of a priority than a uh, ICW in their eyes. Like yeah. he missed it on an ICW show while he was a champion because he had to go to a TNA taping, <laughs> and basically people started to turn against him. And I think it was kind of shitty the way they did it, but because because Mark Dallas, the owner, gave permission to Chris Benfrey to shoot on Grado in a promo and lead up to their match for the title of the Square Go. Mm. And uh, basically, it was a case of like, oh, boo Grado because he, he's a star. Like, we, we helped make him a star, and we're annoyed that all the people are seeing him as a star and take him away out of our little bubble. Yeah. That seems to be my big problem with it. Anytime someone gets about it, says outside ICW, ICW fans seem to turn on them. I have with Drew, I have with Grado, I have with Joe Hendry. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it was just so frustrating. Uh but then when Grudo did turn heel, he just made big thing like, oh, I'm on Impact Wrestling. Like in 20th India, short heel run, I said, we came out with Impact t-shirts. And like he went for the stroke in a match that he looked on the camera, this is for you, Uncle Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, he had the Impact Invasion. He had Matt Hardy going into a feud with uh, EC3. Yeah. Which then led to a weird double turn where Matt Hardy turned heel on and EC3 turned face. Crazy. Yeah. And basically, Rockstar Spud and Titus joined Matt Hardy's side. Yeah. I remember when Spud turned on EC3, it seems a big deal, but like, have we all forgotten the fact that he was a cunt to him when he was a heel? And that was, that was Spud's motivation, like, you treated me shitly when I was with you, so that's yeah. why I turned on you. It's like, it's kind of hard to root for EC3 as a babyface when the guy he right, rightfully should have turned on him because when he was with EC3 before, EC3 treated him like garbage. Yeah, I remember that. So it was kind of a thing where, you know, Oh, speaking of Grado, I think there was a storyline in 2015, 2016, I can't remember. But he, uh, they did the Feaster Fired, and mm. Grado opened the Fired case. I think he'd won a different case, but, he's, but uh, Eli Drake realised he'd opened the Fired case. So while Grado and he switched the cases around. Oh. So Grado ended up getting fired, and Drake, I think, ended up getting a King of the Mountain title shot, which he won. So then Grado starts showing up as a mat, wearing a mask, calling himself O'Dark. O'Dark. Which is basically Grado, I'm O'Dark the Great. <laughs> and like, Eli Drake's like, there's no one else doing this. This is clearly Grado. Because <laughs> it wasn't a very hide, much of a hiding. Yeah. Mess, so, like, you could tell it was Grado. And then he had a cage match where Grado earned his job back. Oh, well, it was Grado. We fat guy that says moan. Like, he, he wore the same gear. He had the same mannerisms. Like, it was a case of, like, I'm not hiding the fact that I'm clearly Grado. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think it was around 2016, Billy Corgan gets involved. He joins as a senior producer. And it's weird, like, he's such a wrestling fan, he clearly wanted Impact to do so well. Mm-hmm. And they gave a lot of money to... There were rumours that, like, Impact wouldn't have enough money to do Slammiversary 2016 if Black Organ hadn't stepped in. Yeah. That was a rumour, that, that they, And uh, he was made on-screen president and authority for a while, and it looked like he actually offered to buy the company for a while. And considering what he's done with the NWA, it probably would have been worth doing it. And then he left over money issues end up suing Impact and Dixie Carter over money that he was owed. Hmm. Which is which is a shame you think about because you see what he was trying to 
Yeah. Yeah. Matt Hardy at the start of twenty sixteen is a champion, but then I think in March it was Drew Galloway catches in his feast or fire case and becomes the first ever British born, I think it is, at least I mean especially first ever Scottish born Impact World Champion. Yeah. I don't think they've had a British world champion since. Hmm. I think the only British Impact World Champion is the same as the only is the same guy as the only British WWE champion. Which is a weird accolade for Drew to have, I think, when you think what about that old guy, that, um, Magnus. Oh, fuck I. You know? Oh, yeah, never mind, he was the first, Drew's the first Scottish, and only Scottish oh, Impact so champion. Magnus was a Magnus was champ. Yeah. Sorry, mate, I forgot about Magnus, even though I mentioned him earlier on. <laughs> so much happening in Impact. I'm, I'm half fucking his own dude, and I know Magnus. So, like, March, Drew wins the title, but he doesn't hold it for long, he loses it at Slammiversary to Bobby Lashley. Mm. I think, um, I think the match, I, the simulation was you can only win by tap out or knockout. Well, that match was one of the flashback matches on Impact the other week. Yeah, and he basically makes Drew obviously pass out from a submission move. Mm, but no quit. Yeah, but Master wins the title and he goes on this dominant run. Uh, it's around 2016 where people started tuning in a Impact again when they basically written off due to one thing. I can sum up that thing by saying a few words. Brother Nero. I knew you'd come. <laughs> Where Matt Hardy debuted the broken character. Yeah, the broken what? And started like the final deletion and shit like that. Yeah. Apparently, he said the. They taped the final deletion. Apparently, people at Impact didn't even watch it before they put it on air. Well, they just done. So they aired the final deletion, not knowing what it was they were putting on their television program. Because I think it was it just showed how desperate Impact were to get viewers because the broken Hardys were bringing people in. Yeah. Hmm. So, that is, uh, happened. Even, it went so well that they had a full episode of Impact emanate from the Hardy Company called uh, Total Non-Stop Deletion. Mm. Where Matt had this uh, pocket, big apocalypto tag team match where he had all these different tag teams. You had, um, you had uh, Shane Helms' team, the Helms Dynasty, Andrew Everett and Trevor Lee. Yeah. Where Shane Helms gets shoved into like, a reincarnation and comes out as three count Shane Helms. And then get shoved back in again and comes out as the hurricane. You have the Rock and Roll Express for some reason. Mm. Ward Warrior Animal makes a, a cameo. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, gets Rockstar Spud taking on Matt Hardy's son, Maxwell, mm. and loses to Maxwell because Senior Benjamin tasered, tasered Spud before the match, and, <laughs> and Maxwell just covers him. <laughs> and Matt has since said, like, part of the reason, part of the thing with the group, him and Jeff being broken was. Jeff was only occasionally doing the high spots and only occasionally being allowed to be a spot monkey, as that yeah. would say. And a part of it was basically he wanted to do this character, didn't necessarily need to require them to wrestle every week. No. Because he, he said, we were at a stage where we had a lot of injuries through TLC matches and that. And how long they'd been wrestling. Basically, it was a case of it was a gimmick to help pre on their career. Yeah. And I think from that aspect, it was kind of good. And he was trying to help Jeff do more than just basically do be the guy who did high spots and jumps off ladders. Yeah, try to add a little bit more to them. Yeah. And then they went on this uh, expedition of gold where they were the Impact Champions, but then they went around winning other tag belts, and they were sending in pre from, like, Mexico and across the US. Yeah. And then uh, they had an issue over money, because uh, Anthem Sports and Entertainment, who still own uh, Impact, they bought a majority stake in the company. Yeah. They don't now want 85%. I think next year I was slowly but surely phased out the company, I think she only, only to the point where she only held like 1% in the company or something like that. Mm. So, 
And it was sort of like this that TNA, they pretty much soon got rid of TNA altogether. Yeah. It was, it was just the company's impact wrestling, as it is known now. And then Anthem didn't really uh, endear themselves because around this time, with the switchover in management, they let quite a few people go, like they slip away, like the Hardys left, mm-hmm. Drew left. Mm-hmm. I think uh, at some point in the next year or so, in end of 2017, Sorry, 2018, likes of EC3 left, and then James Storm would leave, Bobby Roode left. A lot, a mass exodus of yeah. people. And again, that's another, it was seen as another bad thing because, like, Drew, like, I think Drew was offered less money than he left, and then he was, I think Drew didn't leave to go back to WWE, he left and was back on the Indies, and he was doing well for himself. Yeah. And I think it was during Mania weekend that he got the call from X, he, like, we want you back. So it was if on like the EC, likes of EC3 now who left to go back to WWE and the Hardys who went back to WWE. Yeah. Uh, they drew left to go back to these very successful indie career and then just happened to get the call to come back to WWE. And he was like, fair play, I'll come back. And, the, and there was a whole argument where Anthem weren't, for a while, Anthem weren't letting Matt be broken. And that's why when he came out of WWE, he wasn't broken for a while. He was walking. Because they had a... The Anthem's logo with an owl. They kept putting stuff out, hashtags are like, fuck that owl. <laughs> or they did an open starting episode of Impact where they let a live owl loose in the Impact Zone. Mm. And so they left. They went to Ring of Honor for a while, still as broken. And like, we've escaped that awful Anthem owl man. <laughs> and we hear in the honourable ring, they had a couple of matches with uh, the Unbucks. I'm sorry, the night before WrestleMania where they came back. They had a ladder match where they dropped the, the Ring of Honor tag titles to the Young Bucks yeah. the night before WrestleMania and they returned another ladder match and won the Raw tag titles there. So I think the fact that they left it right up to the last minute before revealing that we're back in WWE made people doubt, are they going to go out of WWE? Are they going to stay in Ring of Honor? Because mm. Matt probably could have done anything in the Indies with that. Because he was getting so many bookings with that. He did a, a, a Q&A tour with Inside the Ropes as broken Matt the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, well, he kind of float back and forth that he would mostly be woken Matt. That's right, broken Matt. So, Impact's in a, a weird state mm. at this time. And who wants to... Who who gets rehired by Anthem to uh, help the company? Double J's back. Mm. And guess who's also back? GFW. Yeah. But, Paul, I think... That's a perfect time to close the book on chat on part three. I think so because if we start going on about JFW and Mister Jarrett right now, it may cause violence. Yeah, I think we'll have to go find him and kill him. We've, we've gone from twenty eleven, which is just at the start of twenty seventeen, and Impact's not in a good state, and unfortunately, they're going to keep digging to hit rock bottom because it's going to get worse before but it gets at part four. But in part four, we will talk about the final what felt like the final fall of Impact before we talk about the rise of Impact. Yeah. And hopefully it won't be too long before we do part four again because it was too long between parts two and three. So hopefully part four will come very soon. Yeah. Because, honestly, we talk a lot about modern Impact, but we want, for completion's sake, we want to get our Impact retrospective done because I've had a lot yeah, of fun yeah. doing it and I like doing retrospectives, so I like to move on to other things that we could do retrospectives on. But, well, a... Uh, Aside from all the shit and shitting on Dixie Carter and people like that for the last wee while, 
uh, been a good show, I think. I think so. I mean, we talk we talk very highly of many points, such as like the people that were brought in, people that maybe helped the, sh- the company keep going when it could have gone down. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about high points like aces and eights. Mm-hmm. No, I think like for all the for all the shit that was Impact during this time period, mm-hmm. there was a lot of good points. Mm-hmm. It's just I think the main point was it was just. Like, there was so many, there's so much mismanagement of the company at the time and so many wrong directions they went in. Mm. I mean, they, they had so many aspects and elements that could have made them, in my opinion, it could have made them on a par with WWE. Yeah. But for whatever reason, like, for all the things that WWE did right, mm-hmm. Impact did wrong. Like, and part of the reason... The worst of me as well is that if we keep talking about they kept having different TV stations and kept losing TV deals. So yeah, yeah. The fact that nobody could tell where the fuck they were airing. Yeah, unless you were a diehard, you yeah, weren't going unless, to... unless you were looking for them, you couldn't find them. Yeah. So that was a big thing that helped that helped take their ones away, and also big stars kept leaving. Yeah. So. But I definitely, I definitely think with the fact we're going to go on with this up until part four, mm-hmm. I. I think, just speaking as an Impact fan, as the company stands at the moment, mm-hmm. I think we're, I think we're seeing a phoenix rise from the ashes. To be honest with you, I, I, think I, I personally too. think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so we have talked a lot about GF2 the first time they came over, but they come back and things will get even worse. <laughs> and we'll talk all about that in part four. Yeah. Good. I thought. I thought. I remember we did. So, oh, we'll do this Empire Respective in two parts. Three at a push. Now we're moving on to part four. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, silly me thinking talking about a history of a company that's been around since 2002. Yeah. Go figure, they have a lot that we need to talk about. A company that is almost 20 years old and maybe at certain points of our history doesn't even have a right to be 20 years old. I know. But it is. I think we can talk more about that idea in part four, but until next time, if you you haven't checked out the other two parts of our impact retrospective or roller impact content you can check that out in our back catalogue on all good Android podcasts and sites like Anchor, Spotify, iTunes and Google Podcasts. Uh, you can check you into our socials uh, facebook.com forward slash rambling podcast and twitter at SB Rambling and well I think uh, who, who in the world of impact whose theme song should we end with? I'm leaning maybe towards Drew's Either Drew or MVP's impact theme song, I'm thinking. What do you Drew think? or MVP's? I think Drew's. Drew's, okay. Because he's better. I think Drew's had two different versions, two different songs in impact, so I'll... Merge them together. I don't want to merge them together. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll put one at the start and put the other one at the end. Yeah, do that. Alright. Uh, until next time, where we bring you part four, eventually. We'll see you next time. See ya. Say, and then I think about the times that you got in my way I'm an outcast